It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And just before we get started today, I just want to say a, a great big thank you, Nyawa Miigwech Wanishi, to everyone that took part in our one-year anniversary yesterday from Element FM. Uh, I thought it was very kind of everyone to step forward and offer to share a little bit about themselves uh, as we move into our second year. So this is the first show of our second year for Element FM. The actual anniversary for Moment of Truth will be coming up uh, in November, and we'll get more on more of that later. But uh, right now, first show of the second year for Element FM, and I want to welcome John Elliott to the show today. And uh, he's in the studio and he's here because he's got a film going on at the Imaginative Film Festival that's going to air this weekend. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, so I want to uh, welcome John to the show. And uh, his film, his short film, is called G. Deodade, mm -hmm. which is in the Mohawk language and translates to Even in the Silence. John, welcome to the program. Sego, thank you very much for having me here, David. I'm really, really excited to be here. Uh, you know, it's Imaginative Seasons is in full swing, so it's... Yeah, we're kind of doing a lot of stuff, running all over the place, me and, uh, you know, the rest of the team. So it's really great to be here. Yeah. It, and, and, and it's great to have you here. Listen, if you don't mind, I don't want to split the focus or anything like that, but I'm just wondering, uh, because I, I, uh, Alicia Elliott, is she related to you? Yep, that's my older sister. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people in the Elliott family from Six Nations. Yeah. Uh, your dad, uh, is it your dad? Yeah, Wes Elliott. Yeah, yeah Wes Elliott, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've seen you guys uh, growing up in the community over a number of years, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, I've been uh, working out of the community quite a bit so uh, it's great to have you here. It's nice yeah. to have somebody in from six. So uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, like I feel like there's just a growing number of people coming from six who are mm. extremely talented in all sorts of walks of like both the arts and like you know other business endeavors. Yeah. So I'm just happy to be you know in that wave of people. Yeah. Well, listen. Next time you're talking to your sister, tell her I want to get her on the show. I've been 100%. trying to get a hold of her. <laughs> yeah. She's super busy right now. She's up for her big award uh, in November. So, you know, right yeah. at the beginning of November, we're all going to be there. We're all super excited about yeah, it. Yeah, because she's got that deal. great book, uh, A Mind Laid Out on the Ground, mm -hmm. uh, the title. If you haven't seen it, pick it up. It's a wonderful book, amazingly written uh, with a great perspective. And I might say uh, that leads over to, you know, what you're doing with mm -hmm. this short film that you've got, uh, uh, even, uh, um, even in the silence. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a short, but four-minute-long film. Yeah, it's about three and a half minutes. Uh, it's it's a little bit shorter than most of my usual stuff. It's also uh, quite a bit different. It was a bit of a departure from what I was usually doing, which is longer-form narrative mm. shorts, usually around the fifteen to sixteen-minute range, mm. uh, that had a much more like linear storyline to them. Uh, but what how this project came about is I've been thinking about trying to do a film about the topic of underage drinking and the effects that it has on uh, indigenous communities for a long period of time, ever since high school. Um, but I just never could quite crack the approach that I wanted to take with mm. it. It would feel too maybe preachy if it was a longer form narrative. And I struggled with that a lot. But um, there is a L.A. based company called Art with Impact, and they uh, they focus on usually it's a collective uh, and a collection of films that deal with mental health issues. And they sent out a call that they were looking for pitches for films that had to deal with indigenous mental health issues. They were trying to fill a programming gap that they recognized um, in the films that were submitted to them in their collection. So submitted and, you know, having one of their main, uh, you know, programming requirements was that it has to be under five minutes. Mm. Um, so I started kind of racking my brain being like, OK, mm. what could I do that was under five minutes? Because I haven't really done many things in that time frame. Um, and basically came up with the idea of like, yeah, this feels right. And this feels like I can maybe take my normal approach and morph it into more of an experimental alternative type of film, uh, that would be able to talk about things and this specific issue and having to use traditional practices and cultural, um, you know, touchstones to kind of like deal with grief and overcome grief and, uh, you know, kind of forgive yourself and, deal with your own mental health, uh, especially people who have to go through this and like the families and the people who are left behind. And, you know, so that was kind of how it came about. And then thankfully got the got the grant from them. 
Um, and then, yeah, we kind of like rushed through production, had to, it was a very short turnaround deadline. <laughs> so having to do it under five minutes also helped quite a bit. Mm. Um, but we shot it last, uh, last February or no, this February. Mm. Um, and we shot it over two days and yeah, it was a great time. It was really like run and gun super fast. We shot it mostly at six nations and mm. a little bit in Toronto. Um, but it was in the middle of a really terrible snowstorm. It was. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was about negative 35 the main day mm. that we were out shooting outside and like a really bad, I think it was a bad blizzard that happened mm. then. Mm. Um, so, you know, we were all just dealing with that the whole time, but everybody was in great spirits, so <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and it got completed, and uh, I think that somehow added to it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, for us, the big thing, we were very conscientious of the weather going out there because, you know, we didn't mm. have much of a base camp. We were kind of operating out of cars. You know, mm. they were heated and stuff, but... Mm. The majority of the filming for that day took place outside, so we were like, okay, hopefully we get some nice weather, and the week before it was, you know, negative mm. 15, so it mm. wasn't terrible, uh, but then two days before I was like, oh, no, we're going to be dealing with something a little bit more extreme, so. <laughs> uh, now, let's go back. I mentioned at the top that the, the title, uh, G. Deodane, is, mm-hmm. is actually uh, Mohawk, but in mm-hmm. fact, you're Tuscarora. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, basically, on Six Nations right now, one of the biggest uh, language kind of resurgences is happening mm-hmm. right now with the Mohawk language. Uh, for a long time, there weren't too many fluent speakers on there, but they have a post-secondary program now yeah. that so many people have been able to go to. My sister, Melissa Elliott, being included in that, mm. uh, she was in one of the first classes to go there, and mm-hmm. now she's a Mohawk language teacher at the Everlasting Tree School, which right, is an alternative great. school there um, that kind of focuses on, like, they use Waldorf uh, training and, yep. like, models to kind mm-hmm. of, like, you know, have alternative immersion language, like Mohawk language schooling for uh, young students there. So um, she's been involved in that for a long time. And when I was coming up with this idea, to me, the very core of it is, yeah, we have to go back to our traditions. We have to go back to our culture because there's a lot of healing methods there um, that have been really successful for a long period of time that people have kind of forgotten about. And for me, the language was such a component of that mm-hmm. uh, that I started thinking immediately that I wanted any voiceover that was happening in this film. And the it's kind of like a poem that I wrote in English, but I was like, I don't want it to be in English at all. I want to translate it to Mohawk. Um, so I was talking to my sister about doing the translations because she's worked with uh, on my films before doing Mohawk language stuff. Mm-hmm. And But the process of it was a little bit different because I had written out this thing in English and, you know, it doesn't translate. Yeah, and right. the imagery is so different and the mm-hmm. language is so different. But for both of us we both kind of like came together and we were like okay so in english this was how this would directly translate but this isn't exactly what we're talking about so it became a a kind of like interesting concept to create poetry in mohawk Mm. um and kind of take what those literal translations were but use the essence of kind of what i had written and you know i just kind of gave it to her and i was like you know what run with it see what this feels like and then like both of us will come together and we can figure out exactly what those translate translations can be and you know how we want it all to flow and what we want the sound to be because even the structure of it fundamentally changed by going in Mohawk and I think it actually aided the film in such a deeper way because you know the what we were talking about you know in the writing in English was like kind of literal mm-hmm. um, but it became much more uh, I don't know emotional and much more uh, about kind of capturing the feeling of things in Mohawk when we were translating it. And I think it made the film just that much deeper because it helped to kind of elevate it from that surface level of what Mm. we were talking about Mm. and added this newer layer. And I don't know, I think the character in the film as well, it's a young woman who's dealing with, uh, you know, the after effects of a drunk driving accident that claimed the life of um, her, her partner. And the language component of it you don't really realize until afterwards is actually coming from that character's perspective that after all this has happened she's found healing through reconnecting back to her culture and you know relearning the language and the fact that that is in the language as well it kind of like just helps solidify that the whole point of view from the film is coming after the fact and it's you're dealing with this and Mm -hmm. having to overcome it and it's a constant struggle so Mm -hmm. yeah that was kind of i don't know i think it just made the film that much more of a full picture, even though it is only three and a half minutes. Yeah, you know, yeah. It helped with that a lot. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned a couple of things we should talk about in there. One is, is as we've said, it's in the Mohawk language uh, with, uh, with English, English subtitles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one line that really got me, uh, that really stood out to me, was it did what it was designed to do. That mm-hmm. line really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because 
it is exactly that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, it really captured me. Now, why don't we talk about the actors a little bit? Yeah. Um, so we got lucky uh, with two amazing, amazing actors. Um, so Shannon Lee is the lead in the film. Uh, her and I have worked together previously on another film of mine, Her Water Drum. She played a, a minor but very important role in that film. Um, and for me, as soon as I was starting to think about the casting process, I was like, I want to work with Shannon again and I want to give her like work in her work with her in a role that has a bit more meat to it and a bit more substance um, because I knew just from the brief performance that she had in that that like she has a lot of talent and she was very very good um, so naturally I just reached out to her I didn't think about casting anybody else in that role and thankfully she was available um, and then yeah so it kind of like snowballed from there and then uh, the other lead in the film Andrew Hill he's from Six Nations as mm-hmm. well Um, And he does a lot of like theater work there Mm. and he hadn't really done any film work before, Mm. but uh, I was very familiar. Like I'd seen his name floating around and had different suggestions of who to cast for that role. And so I reached out to him and like we got together and he just understood the role. It was something that was very close to him. He's lost a lot of friends, Mm. Uh, you know, being Mm. from six, that was a Mm -hmm. big um, kind of almost an epidemic for a little while. There was a lot of youth who were dying from underage drinking um, so he had lost a lot of friends. So he had kind of connected to the film immediately. And he was telling me his stories about, you know, mm. very similar experiences to this film. So I think with that, I was like, yeah, 100%, I, I need you to be in this film because mm. you're bringing something to it that, mm. you know, um, bringing something extra to it and you're bringing lived experience to it. And, you know, working with both of them, it was really interesting because, you know, we didn't really script any of the scenes as I normally would. We got together and we just workshopped like, uh, you know, kind of like, freestyle and we were doing a lot of improv together just Mm. to kind of like help build a relationship between the two of them Mm. and get everybody uh, myself included comfortable with the idea of just improving on set you know like running with different scenes you know some scenes you get to see them like in the early stages of their relationship and when they're happy and stuff but other scenes you're seeing them dealing with uh you know her her drinking problem and having to flip between those basically like from one scene to the next it can take a lot out of an actor and like Mm. So we really just workshopped those transitions and, you know, working in the different uh, moods of the scenes that we were going to be in. And then when we were on set, it just kind of, you know, like, this is what we're doing. We all kind of got together at the beginning of the day and we're like, okay, this is what we're hoping to get out of this scene. Um, see, let's see what you guys do and then we'll shape it together, you know. Uh, so it was much more kind of like free flowing um, partnership, I think, between myself and the actors and the rest of the crew where we were all kind of just we knew the bones of the idea that we had. Mm-hmm. We knew the structure that we wanted, um, but the actual shooting of the scenes and the performances of the scenes were very, I don't know, we just felt it in the moment. We felt what felt right and then just kind of like ran with it as soon as we locked into it. So, yeah, it was a really great process. I couldn't, I don't know, like you know, performing without dialogue, without the crutch of dialogue for a lot of actors can be very difficult. Mm. So I think the two of them really just killed it. Mm. You know, like they don't have any dialogue to lean on and it's all through the performance. It's all through the face and the eyes and Mm -hmm. their body language. And they just did an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that, uh, the message that you're, you're talking about Mm -hmm. underage drinking uh, obviously is there, but the other message that came through to me almost even stronger was, the loss you talked about, mm-hmm. what, and and it's unfortunate this loss had to even happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, and I'm hoping maybe that's the message you want to get across mm-hmm. to the youth is to say, this doesn't have to happen mm-hmm. if you just you know be start to become more aware of mm-hmm. of what these actions can and you know could possibly lead to. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought that was, uh, you know, I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, and there's that sadness of the loss. She is mm-hmm. now left with struggling with that memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that, for me, was the big thing. You know, I feel like, unfortunately, I don't make a lot of comedies. Um, <laughs> a lot of my films kind of deal with family and uh, close relationships, you know, between partners and stuff that uh, they're dealing with trauma, they're dealing with grief, and they're trying to figure out ways to overcome it. Um, and I think, for me, that kind of comes from uh just a sense of like you know family for me like i have a huge family like Mm -hmm. lots of siblings lots of cousins and everything and we grew up through a lot of stuff uh on six and i don't know i think that there was it's such an inherent connection when you have people in your life that you don't have to explain things to and they just understand because they're Mm -hmm. living through it as well Mm -hmm. um but also i think the thing that's so interesting about that is that it's coming from 
you know, that shared experience mm-hmm. is interpreted in so many different ways, mm-hmm. you know, because of all the different people who are coming at it from their experience and their own outside world outside of the family. Uh, it kind of shapes how they view things. And for me, those kind of relationships and that um, coming together from people who, you know, should be close uh, under any given circumstance, but have their own different experiences and they come together to deal with an issue uh, is something that I just find really fascinating. Um, and I think it, for me, is it's the basis of a lot of the stories that I tell because uh, because my family meant so much to be growing up and we did, dealt with a lot of stuff um, when we were children. And I think it makes it that much more like I, I feel like I need to put myself in every film that I can. And that kind of like story thread and those types of relationships are an easy point for me to kind of like jump into because I understand that. And I know like, yeah, this is something that I can resonate with and like I can really put myself into because – I don't like to make stuff that doesn't have any meaning or, you know, personal connection for myself into it because, it, you know, making films is it's an expensive thing. It's a time commitment. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to try to work on stuff that like my passion for it can kind of push all the way through to the end. Um, but getting back to what you're saying about, you know, kind of helping to hoping be like a preventative in a way. Um you know, this the the issue of underage drinking and like, you know, the the effects of it and that grief and that loss, you know, have kind of been permeating through Six Nations for a long time. And there are a lot of community resources in place now that are starting to combat that. You know, there's the Youth and Elders Center. Mm. Uh, for a long time, a lot of the youth there were trying to like petition for something like that because yeah. there was no resource for uh, for youth after school yeah. who, you know, like to have a place where they could just go and be together and hang out in a safe environment. Um, so now that they have that and they have uh, the Six Nations Youth Council and they have all of these like youth-focused and oriented um, programs and initiatives happening right now, it does feel like it's having a positive impact on the, on the community and on the youth in the community that you know they have these resources and there have been fewer incidents, at least seemingly recently. Um, but I think it is important to kind of like show people that there are alternatives to that lifestyle, you know, and there are other outlets for it. And I think that the film, my main goal with it was really to be like, okay, this is an issue. This is something that we need to talk about, but also uh, raising an issue is without offering some alternative solutions is kind of a moot point. So I wanted to say like, you know, there are things outside yourself and things in your community and in your other relationships that you can help use to like, help you get through these difficult times. Um, and for me, obviously, that's like family and close relationships. So that kind of naturally embedded itself in the film. The other side of the, of the film that, that it looks at, of course, is not just the underage drinking and mm-hmm. the relationship to that and then uh, coming out of that and dealing with that, but it's also the reconnection to culture. Mm-hmm. And again, unfortunately, it, it only comes after a loss. Yeah. And I think that that for me was was a big thing as well, because I think uh, a lot of youth, obviously, when they're younger and they're they're, you know, maybe raised in an environment where they're not uh, not shown their culture or not Mm -hmm. like able to live it. You can feel really disconnected and you don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, I've met so many people from reserves all across Canada who, you know, they grew up off the reserve and then they move back and it's a reconnecting and it's a relearning of kind of who you are in a deeper way that you can't really like fully fathom or understand or even feel Mm -hmm. that there's a loss before that. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it was kind of important that, you know, this, the whole point of the film um, that it kind of led to rediscovering something inside yourself that can help you overcome that grief and make you feel like more of a complete person, even if it is, you know, at the expense of a terrible loss uh, and it takes something terrible to get you there that, you know, one loss can lead to another uh, avenue for happiness and like understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think at the end of the film, you know, it's like, she's not happy, obviously, you know, this, this uh, situation and this, um, unfortunate incident that happened in the film it you know it has changed her but it allows her like reconnecting back to her culture understanding her language um, and you know practicing her traditional teachings it allows her to kind of like have the um, the ability to see the event with clarity and move forward in a positive way you know mm-hmm. a healthy way for herself you know mm-hmm. um, yeah and I think having to deal with the ideas of like grief and mental health and also you know feelings of guilt and 
in that situation are, you know, it's something that people need to have outlets to talk about, right. for sure. Uh, John Elliott is my guest in the studio. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. You were just listening to John uh, talk about parts of the film that is uh, going to be showing at the uh, the Imaginative Film Festival on Saturday, October 26th at 1.15 at the Tiff Bell Lightbox Cinema 3 Theatre. And uh, also, um, I'm, I'm just wondering, John, have you had the chance to show this film on Six Nations to the community, or will you? Um, I'm trying to get something together to actually do that. Uh, for a long time, I've been like you know, back and forth with different groups about trying to like get screenings going mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, yeah, and also pressure from a dad. He really <laughs> wants that screening <laughs> to happen down on the reserve. Um, so I'm in talks right now with people trying to get things going, uh, but not just for myself. Like I want to, what we're trying to do is organize something where a lot of local filmmakers can mm-hmm. have their stuff shown together. Um, I don't want it to be like in any way just me going and showing my films. I want to yeah. like bring everybody together yeah. and uh, have a chance for everybody to show their work together. Well, so well, yeah. you know, they have a gathering place that exactly. they show films every what every Friday night, or every once Friday a month, night. or something like that. And, yeah, you know, it'd be great, great to just have them as a as running before the the main feature. One hundred percent, and yeah, that's something that I've actually talked about a little bit before as well. Is like, yeah, maybe we can program different shorts from local filmmakers, or even mm. Toronto-based filmmakers, or mm. you know, just Indigenous filmmakers, kind of from in anywhere. Really, I think it'd be great to kind of pair them up because you know they're watching you know feature films. Yeah, um, but it'd be great to be able to showcase you know like more local talent and stuff like that because I think, you know, there's so many talented young filmmakers right now that it's kind of insane. Like even going to Imaginative and watching some of the shorts, you're like, Mm. holy crap, these people are like so good and, you know, their careers are like so, they're going to go amazing places and yeah, I think that having, uh, having something on six would be amazing and I'm trying to, get the ball rolling on it 100 percent. that would be fabulous <laughs> thing it's great it all back yep if you need any help i'll be happy to help some way if i can that'd be amazing uh, um so gdo dade is the film that we're talking about even in the silence it's a short film uh that uh that john did uh john you had other people helping you on this film yeah a hundred percent uh no film can be made without the amazing support of a crew uh my producer eric orofino her and i have been working together since we went to york university together i think we worked on over 18 projects together at this point um yeah it's kind of kind of crazy but our working relationship is so uh collaborative and tight and we a lot of the times you know you bypass the things when you work with uh new people you know there's a shorthand there and there's just an understanding of knowing that this person uh, understands and will wants to understand the story that you're telling and tell it in the best way possible. Uh, and, you know, her and I, we work together. She's also a director and I like I work as a director of photography. So I'll shoot her films and mm. she'll produce mine. And mm. like it's this constant working collaboration and multiple roles. Um, so that's, you know, like my main constant collaborator is her. And like, you know, she's just a driving force behind every film that I do. Can't do any of them really without her. Um, but on top of that, you know, like it takes like this crew was fairly small in comparison to some of our other ones, but, um, you know, it's all the essential people that, you know, help and can actually make this. Cause I wanted to be kind of like a smaller tight knit group, knowing we'd be outside, knowing we'd be shooting in my apartment, mm. uh, you know, having fewer people as possible is great. Um, so my brother, Michael Elliott, he's a makeup artist as well. Uh, so he's <laughs> been working on, you know, uh, so many of my projects together. We get the chance to work on a lot of stuff together, which is really great. So brought him on board i don't ever work with other makeup artists anymore because you know he's there and he's amazing at what he does for being you know young and new to Mm -hmm. it he's so so great um and then the other crew members you know like michael madeau steven zick my assistant director who helps keep us on track and like keeps us on schedule uh he is like a constant source of (laughs) uh you know like empowerment because he knows exactly like what we need and how long it takes to get it in you know you can't really run a set properly without having somebody who Mm is thinking about that because I'm not thinking about that. I'm right. thinking about, like, how do we tell the story? I don't right. care how long it takes, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Um, so he's there to keep us on track, and he does such a great job every time. Uh, Michael Modo, our gaffer. Aiden Carter, our uh, our AC. Um, Owen Devaney, my good friend, uh, he and I worked together on the APTN show, Wild Archaeology, amongst other projects. So he came out uh, to help shoot as well, have additional coverage on the film, and you know provide a lot of extra support, extra gear and stuff for us to use. 
Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like that, it, it was a very small, small crew. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's PAs on board as well who like come and help do the transport and help, you know, pick up food and stuff. Because when we're all operating out of vehicles in <laughs> negative 30 degree weather, you need constant runs to Tim Hortons <laughs> to help you out and get through that. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, every, every film I work on, I try to work with like, you know, these key people that uh, I feel comfortable with that we have this shorthand and who just you know, we work incredibly well together and fast because that's also the thing that you're always fighting in film production is the time, you know, time is money. So having people who, you know, are willing to do that work and do it fast, but also do it with an extreme level of skill is invaluable. And especially in cold weather, batteries don't like cold weather. They absolutely do not. (laughs) So that was a constant fight. Batteries in pockets were (laughs) happening all day. (laughs) So listen, you mentioned a a few things about other projects you've Mm -hmm. done. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other work? You're a graduate of of York University in the uh, film production. Yeah, so uh, when I was at York, it was a four-year program. I produced uh, quite a few projects uh, my last year film was Two Wolves, which was my first foray into like horror filmmaking. Uh, it was about a vampire and her sister. Um, obviously, family connections there again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, kind of graduated to, I kept in that horror train for a little bit. I did another horror film that was uh, called This Wild Season about um, an uncle and his niece who are his niece, it's going to be a spoiler in whatever. Uh, his niece is a werewolf. Uh, you don't really find out until the end of the film. And they're dealing with the loss of a family member as well. And they're going out into the woods to kind of like reconnect and, um, you know, deal with mm. that mm. and the fact that she's mm. a werewolf. Um, and then I kind of just transitioned straight into drama. Um, I produced a film with Imaginative and Charles Street Video through their uh, their mentorship program. Uh, called Her Water Drum. It was a film that de- deals with uh, missing, murdered Indigenous women mm. um, from the perspective of the a mom and her young son dealing with the the loss of her daughter, her teenage daughter, mm. and kind of their relationship in the aftermath of that. Um, and that was the first time that I kind of like really wanted to start jumping towards uh, you know drama and telling stories that I had. I don't know, like that felt important, you know. Um, and that's a very tricky topic to be able to approach in a short film but mm-hmm. thankfully with the actors and everybody else on board we were able to kind of like hone in on the essence of it and you know we thought focusing on what happens to the people who are left behind mm-hmm. um, and the families who have to deal with this issue mm-hmm. is the right way to go um, and yeah that film's kind of been all over the place screening everywhere and then yeah I jumped into I don't know there's a lot of other short films <laughs> uh, Taken Home which is um, going to be playing in LA at the LA Skins Fest mm-hmm. Um and is nominated for, I guess, Best Short Film down there, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one deals with two uh, Mohawk siblings who are in the foster care system who are just put in with a new um, white foster family and kind of dealing with what that entails, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a secret between them that kind of, you know, it threatens to upset their very delicate balance in their life right now. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then from there, kind of, I'm right now I'm just focusing on trying to develop uh, – you know, new projects. And I had a little bit of a break. I was working on other people's projects for a Mm. long time and I'm ready to kind of like hop back into it now. So yeah, just in development process on a few different shorts and a feature film that I'm trying to get off the ground right now. So yeah, ready to hopefully make that transition and start telling longer form stories. So yeah. So on Saturday at, uh, at, at the uh, Imaginative Film Festival, uh, Tiff Bell Lighthouse Cinema 3, Mm -hmm. uh, G. Deodade, even in the silence is the name of the film. Jidodade uh, me in Mohawk, and uh, I'm just wondering. It, it's part of other short films that are going to be shown that afternoon. Mm-hmm. I, is there a Q and A afterwards? Is it, is it just the? How does that work? I think usually uh, when Imaginative does their shorts blocks, usually they do a Q and A afterwards mm-hmm. with all the filmmakers who are mm-hmm. present to be able to go up. Uh, it's not very long. It's maybe like 10, 15 minutes, as yeah. it should be. Most right. Q and As that run a long period of time. Yeah, nah, they're okay, but yeah, nice and short and sweet. But yeah, they usually do have a Q and A screening afterwards. So right. yeah. Uh, anything else we missed or you want to mention before we go? Um, I mean, I just, again, wanted to say I'm really happy to be out here. So thank you so much for having me here. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that the hard work of the crew and the cast on this film is being recognized, um, because they put a lot of heart and effort into it. They dealt with a lot of stuff and like our expedited production process was so, so fast that I couldn't have done it without these constant key collaborators that I have. So I'm just super happy to them and can't say enough good Mm. things about them and thanks to them. So, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, once again, John Elliott, my guest uh, here on Moment of Truth, his film, G. Deodade, which is even in the silence in the Mohawk language, is going to be filming, or rather screening, on Saturday, October 26th at 1.15 in the afternoon at the Tiff Bell Lighthouse Cinema 3 Theater. So you can get down there and check it out. Uh, you know, the other thing we didn't get to, and, and maybe you'll have to come back and, mm-hmm. and talk a bit more about the other things that you're involved with, because mm-hmm. you, you, you uh, you, you, you're involved with other production. Yeah. Uh, um, you, you have a production company. Yeah, I have a production so company, yeah. We'll talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. It's been great having you here. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me you're, out. Yeah. You're very welcome. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward uh, to seeing more from you, and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. My next guest in the studio is Angelina McLeod, and she is the director of a five-part series about the Shoal Lake First Nation. She's here to talk about it, but first let me tell you a little bit about Angelina. She's an activist, a scholar, a filmmaker, and a mother uh, from Shoal Lake, Anishinaabeg First Nation. That's located between Ontario and Manitoba. She was the Indigenous Scholar-in-Residence at the Manitoba Museum and is currently at the University of Manitoba graduate student working on her thesis under the supervision of Dr. Sinclair. Angelina is studying sacred birch bark scrolls which have been passed down through her family for generations. Angelina, you are also featured, uh, I think, part of another film uh, that is, is about part of your life, is that? Uh, yes, it's called When the Children Left, uh, but it's directed by uh, Charlene Moore. It tells the story about uh, me and my sister and um, to leave to school at, yeah, at the grade grade 8, because there's no high school in Chill Lake. Mm. So, um, but unfortunately, my sister um, lost her life at um, after she left, um, she went missing while, yeah. while she was attending school in Kenora. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, I imagine, was and is still a, 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 a tough topic. Yes, it is. Yeah. I appreciate you just sharing that with us about it. Um, you know, uh, I would say also that your, your five-part series about Shoal Lake, uh, when, I, when I look at it, of course, it's a very familiar story in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, having to do with water, relocation, and, um, you know, also, I mean, the idea that, that your community had to build a road for themselves. Uh, when, I, when I look at that, and I'm, I'm happy you were able to complete that road and, and get that done, but it still upsets me that you were, first of all, moved at all and that it seems like you know again like for many first nations forgotten and left to deal with many of these issues on your own where and you were you were and it's the government that that moved you and uh, relocated you so that they could access fresh water and that's what you lost in the process yeah exactly um yeah our community has been under a boil water advisory for 22 years probably longer than that but um, that's what I think anyways. Um, I think that's just when they started testing it. Mm. And so it's been, it's been quite the journey to, for, to get Freedom Road. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, even our, our parents were fighting for the road and our parents before, their parents before that were fighting for like to try to get access out of the community, safe access. Yeah, so this the film is is called the five part series is Freedom Road. It's it's that's what it's entitled. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to give people a little more information about it, as we mentioned, it's a five part documentary that tells the inspiring story of Shoal Lake Forty, Anishinaabeg First Nation, and their battle to build a road after their community was forcibly relocated and cut off from the mainland over one hundred years ago. And that's where I believe the story starts is uh, somewhere about a hundred years ago when you introduce it, uh, so that the water could be diverted to the city of Winnipeg. Uh, director in Shoal Lake, uh, La Forty member Angelina McLeod uses an imaginative community-driven approach to storytelling that highlights the community's dignity, strength, and perseverance as they take back control of their narrative and their future in the process of building Freedom Road. Um, I, I know that uh, you were you you came about this by uh, the NFB looking for someone to partner with. I believe, believe on a story. Uh, yeah, they're looking for somebody that lived in Winnipeg from Shoal Lake Forty to consult with um, to make the film. Like, uh, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And, and so how did it come about that you, you got involved? Oh, yes. I met with Alicia Smith. Um, we just went met for coffee, and mm. then she found out that he was a filmmaker, and, and that's how it all began. Now, the process you took, this five-part series... Um, sort of uh, looking uh, somewhat more at a traditional perspective, I guess you would say. Um, how and why did you decide to take that approach? Um, it's always been a part of um, my family's tradition, and I just wanted to um, make sure that the trust and respect for my community members, or the community members, um, were kept and followed, and our cultural protocols were met, um, because that's what I also study at... Um, university and I teach that as well um, yeah and so um, it as we said it's broken down into five parts um, and what's the f- the first part is is the context so it's building the story it tells us a little bit about the history yeah um, the context story tells um, it features Daryl Redsky and mm-hmm. he takes us on a, on a journey um, to the dike and the canal and where where it all began and when the aqueduct was built, um, it was built in 1919. Um, so that's what um, the context film is about: um, telling the history about why Winnipeg needed to find a clean drinking source. Um, that's because um, Winnipeg's water was um, contaminated with typhoid, and so. Um, the Greater Winnipeg Water District was um, looking for a clean water source, and then they found Show Lake, and then so they decided um, to um, to build the the aqueduct there mm. where our village was. So they relocated our our old village and um, forcibly removed us to the island, and they built the the canal, which dug, which is um, dug. Mm. Island or I'm um, not island. It dug through like the, it's a made man-made, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a river yep. swamp. Right. So that's what isolated us. Mm. And the dike is actually built also to um to divert the brown water um, away from the aqueduct and towards our community, which which left us with with dirty looking water, and well. Winnipeg gets clean drinking water on the other, oh. other end of the pipe. That's wow! I I can't believe they would they would have done that yeah. to begin with. And I was going to ask you what is the source of the of the the issue with your water. So that's the that's the the problem. They they're they're separating the clean and the dirty water uh, mm-hmm. from Shoal Lake for Winnipeg, and you end up with the sludge left over, and and it's it's left you with water that you now have to boil. Yeah, it's um. I know it's full of um E. coli. Um, s- people can't really eat the fish and everything mm. that much. And some of the fish have sores on the bo- on on mm. their bodies. Mm. Some of the animals, and I know fish. Um, fish is one of the main source of mm-hmm. of people's diets, so I know it's affecting their health. Yep. and everything. Yeah. So, uh, is certainly, I'm, I'm sure over time you've you've presented this to the government. You've presented the these uh, these this this water situation, and uh, what are they what have they said to you about that? It's it's over twenty years you've been dealing with boil water. It's just it's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I know the <coughs> I know that the community is um is is going to be getting a um, water and sewage plant very shortly. Mm. So. So at least that's finally coming, but I actually I don't, I don't believe it anything until I see it. <laughs> yes, because I never good. believe the gov- what the government says. Yeah, until I see it. It's hard to it's hard to uh, believe until you see it for sure, uh, given the history. Now, uh, so you you had to did the community have to take this upon themselves to build the road? Uh, no, we had to lobby uh, three levels of government: the municipal, um, <clears throat> the city of Winnipeg. Mm. Um, the provincial government, um, Manitoba, and also um, the federal government. Okay. So we had to like advocate, and we um, we found allies, um, non-indigenous allies in Winnipeg called Friends of Show Lake Forty, and they advocated very well for us too, and they became our friends, and and they just 
they're on top of everything. They're contacting media and letting know, letting them know what was going on in the community and the struggles we were facing with the barge breaking down. We had no access and um, yes, with, so, the, with no water. Yeah, so so that, that was the thing. It's not just the water. It's the fact that they isolated you, mm-hmm. that you had no access to a mainland, which which in any kind of conditions, uh, especially in the Canadian North, meant that uh, you you were dealing with some very precarious situations. Uh, I know part of the stories deals with uh, some of the some of the the mothers trying to get to the mainland and having to uh, go over uh, the water at different times of the year, whether it's frozen or whether it's breaking up, and and how dangerous that was. Stories of people falling through the water and the ice, I should say. Yeah, there's um there's many stories of that, and um it seems to be like a, a it's a common thing like in the community where every everybody had has a struggle and had a struggle like to to get across the ice and every people have had fallen through many times and it's it just became a normal way of life now when you you you, you had to um try to get support to get the road built and you said you had to go and speak the three levels of government uh and the city of Winnipeg uh, was that because you had to get their permission or is that because you were looking for funds from them to b- get this road built or both? Um, for actually like both, but mostly we needed the, f- the funds to, um, it was quite the, quite the battle to get the funds to, for mm. the road. Yes. How long did it take? Oh, quite a while. Um, cause I remember Justin Trudeau visit, visited the community probably about, I think it was like three years ago. Mm. Yeah, and I was part of the Price of Water team in Show Lake, so and um, came and visited, but there really wasn't much of an outcome after that. Um, but how long has the how long had the community been trying to get a road? How long? For um, as long as I can remember, I remember hearing it at the at the at the kitchen dinner table and mm. everything like that, and my dad talking about it with his friends. Like, it's been a long time. They even tried to build it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not an easy undertaking by any means. How long of a road is it? Um, I'm not really sure off the top of my head, to be honest. Are we talking... Kilom- kilometers around there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. But it is now completed. Yes. So you now have access, and that means things are somewhat changing. I, I believe um, you might, might be getting a new school or something. Yeah, there's a new... There's a... Um, I know there's a water and sewage treatment plant coming. Um, I'm a little unsure about the school. Mm. Um, but yeah, the access is is there. Um, but we still we still have lots of work to do. And um, just because we have the road, there's still other things that, that need, need to be done. Oh, for sure. Yes. So the, this, this broken down into a series of, of five uh, documentary parts. And each one focuses on a different area of the community. One is on men, one is on women, one is on youth, elders. Yes. Um, and what do each of those series bring out? What do they show us? Okay. Um, for the youth film, I found that um, for that one was one of, I related to that one a lot because um, I pretty much went through the same things as as those youth. Um, I had no, no sense of hope and... Um, we, I was also forced to leave the community, and the kids are still leaving the community to attend high school. So, and they face culture shock when they leave the community and racism, and they miss, they just feel really homesick. And so, that that was one of the films that um, I closely related to. Mm-hmm. And for the women, um, I, I just um, I was trying to um, to um, highlight. Um, some of my own family's experiences, like with my 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 mother and what what happened um, during that time. Um, yeah, that, that that one's actually pretty emotional for me to talk mm. about. Yeah. Uh, w- when you say you know you talk about leaving to go to high school, that's not an uncommon c- experience on many Indigenous and First Nation communities. Yeah. Um, so how, where do the kids have to go? Do they have to go to Winnipeg? Where do they have to go? For um, they go to Kenora. Usually, go to school in Kenora, okay, and yeah. um, they put a ad in the paper looking for boarding homes. Mm. 
or they asked the parents to find the boarding homes themselves. But in my situation, I was just placed in a in a non-Indigenous home and um, where um, I never prayed before in my life before, mm. like like mm. and like to God and stuff. Mm. So I was had to do that every day, and it was just really different. It was a really big culture shock to sure. me because I was I grew up um, uh, Medewin. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can well imagine you, you're you're in a community, and let's face it, you're you're in an isolated community, and so accessing uh, main mainstream of anything would be difficult. And then to be, uh, then to have to leave the community to go to high school, on top of having to learn new things, you're exposed to this new society that you know very little about, as you just pointed out, having to live with a family that you don't know. Uh, I imagine that's very stressful, and and it's very much like taking someone from a different country. That's yeah, basically it's, what it is. It basically feels like um, you're being taken away, like from like mm-hmm. it's CFS or CAS, yeah. Yeah. like child and family coming to take you away. That's yeah. and feels like the residential school system mm-hmm. again. Yeah, it, and what's the population uh, of Shoal Lake roughly? Um, know? I know it's around four hundred, but okay. there's about two hundred members that live there currently. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned that about, um, uh, you know, high school and having to leave and, and uh, culture shock, uh, I know that from uh, just being from Six Nations. And uh, I've ha- I actually had to help uh, make a film, and that's not an isolated community, where kids had to go leave the community to go to high school in a nearby community. And there was still that, that uh, very, uh, very, very upsetting um, uh, you know, feeling of having to leave in a new, uh, the culture shock. And we had to interview students that were in high school and, and let them talk to the youth uh, that were going to high school so that they could help break that down and, and give them an understanding of what was going to be happening just to help break that, that culture shock down a little bit for them. So uh, I can well imagine it would only be uh, accented for, for people in the North that have to go even further. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have easy access to get back to your community. No, because of the ice ice conditions, and it was we always couldn't. I couldn't always go back home to go visit, so it was pretty. Um, it was pretty lonely and mm. living away from home. What would you What would you hope people take away from this series? Um, well, I hope they um, they can understand and learn about all the indigenous issues that um, First Nations face across uh, Turtle Island, and um, like with our education and lack of clean drinking water or isolation poor health care there's like so many things involved like that they're all connected that and we just want to be equal just to like everyone else that has opportunities the equal opportunities to like to live and yeah i just hope everybody can learn from these films and learn the hardships that First Nations go through so they can have a better understanding and have a more respect for us. And Well, I, I think even beyond that, uh, I, I hope that you're able to get this film uh, maybe up to uh, Ottawa uh, because I think it sounds like a very educational film that, that many of the uh, people in Parliament could learn from. Not that they should be all aware about what's going on on many First Nations uh, already, but I think that uh, from what your you know y- your your five series is is saying and what it's showing is is not a single story. It, it is about Shoal Lake, but it's it's one that's that's very common to other First Nations and other communities in North and other places across across Canada. Yeah, um, I I feel like it it relates to many. Um, because I have lots of other friends that um, I go to university with, and they've all been through the same, similar, similar situations as I have, and the community members from that were featured in the series. Yeah. So, listen. Is there anything specific that we haven't touched on about this that you want to mention, or that you think is important? Just so others can have a. Um, Non-indigenous people and new newcomers can have a better understanding of what indigenous um, people go through um, when they come through come to this um, country, and just to learn more about what we what we go through, and just so they can learn to um, help um, educate each other and 
Yeah. Well, let's hope they do. And I think that um, I think that this series will speak very loudly in that uh, regard for not only your community but many other First Nations in this country. And it is something that everyone, absolutely everyone in this country, should know about. And and really, I think that that uh, government officials should feel shame about what has happened to indigenous people in this country. And this is an example of the kind of thing that needs to be fixed. It, it's way overdue. This should never have happened to begin with. And the, the treaties that haven't been lived up to and the process that was deliberately put in place to take away uh, culture, language, and uh, try to assimilate indigenous people into the mainstream uh, continues, and we see that here in 2019 with your community still dealing with some of these struggles, still dealing with the boil water issue. And you're not the only one, and it's, it's just a, a shame uh, on this country that, that it, it has happened. And uh, I wish you all the best, and I really hope your film uh, and your series gets out there to help educate people, indigenous and non-indigenous people, and to be uh, uh, a real shining light for, for uh, other communities and, and, and uh, try to help improve the situation in this country because we do all have to live here and we should all be able to live uh, freely and we should all have the basic needs which have been denied so much to uh, indigenous communities right across this country. Yeah, I agree with that all too. So Angelina, it, it's been a pleasure having you here to share about your documentary series and uh, help many people get out there to see it. Um, it is going to be airing this Saturday at the Imaginative Film Festival on Saturday afternoon at 1.15 at the... Uh, the TIFF Bell Lighthouse Cinema 3 Theater. It's at 115 with, uh, with um, uh, many other short uh, films that are, that are going to be shown. And I believe there's going to be a Q&A afterwards as well. You're going to be on hand for that? Yes, I will be there. And I hope to see everybody else out there as well. Come check it out. Great. So once again, if people are interested, you can uh, see that uh, film by Angelina McLeod. And it is entitled Freedom Road. It's a five-part series. They're going to be seeing one of those series. It's the youth one. Uh, but uh, it's going to be going on to another film festival in uh, in in uh, uh, Manitoba, at which time all the the five uh, documentaries will be shown, and it will also be shown online. All the five part series will be shown online at that time as well. Yes. So, yeah. so people are. that are interested, you can check out Freedom Road. Go to the Imaginative Film Festival. You can find out more. Once again, it's going to be airing this Saturday afternoon at one fifteen at the TIFF Bell Lighthouse Cinema Theater 3 at 1.15 on October 26th. And miigwech to Angelina for coming in and sharing uh, her stories and about this series. It's a very important one that needs to get out there and be told. So thanks again for coming in. All right, thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Make sure to tune in next time. Onigiha.